Hello there, and welcome back to the world of Pokemon Primeval. My name is Professor Redwood, but everyone calls me the Pokemon Professor. Well, that's enough about me. Could you tell me about yourself? Are you a boy? Or a girl? Or non-binary? Or gender fluid? Oh, I don't know. Can I be a bumbling ninja with zero social acumen? Of course! Hell yeah! Before we continue on with the rest of class, we have a few things to clear up. Not least of which is reintroducing you to your best friends. I'm David, Master of Dungeons and Pokemon. Hi, I'm Vlad and I'll be playing Charlotte Fuduciel, the Dragon of Galar. Hey folks, my name's Adam. I'll be playing the role of Dart, the party's rogue. Hey there, you can call me Josh if you want to, and I'll be playing Liz Flora, Witch of the Coven of Blue and Green, and Druid of the Circle of Wood and Sea. Hey everybody, my name's Duffy, and I will be playing Cole. I am a ranger with a bit of a dark past. Now, while I'm quite sure you are all excellent students who take copious notes and couldn't possibly be watching videos of Squovitz during this lecture, or perhaps making exhaustive lists of feats attributable to fictional characters, I feel that a recap of our last session would be in order. Shortly after arriving in Pallet Town, Char had her morning interrupted by Dart, who offered her a job. Well, his sales pitch could have used some work, as it caused Char to literally eject him from her room. While she was affecting said ejection, a second job offer was made in as many minutes. This one, however, was a favor to help a pregnant soldier by the name of Samara escape a bad situation. Meanwhile, Liz and her aunt discovered that Palatown's new rice fields had been sabotaged. Along with Cole, Liz agreed to go into town and bring the news to the mayor as well as meet with Samara, as one of Liz's aunts was certain she would be going into labor later that night. In town, Liz and Cole met Shar and Samara before heading off to meet the mayor. Two important things happened during the meeting. First, Liz and Cole were tasked with retrieving an overdue shipment of food, and second, Cole became convinced the mayor was the one behind the sabotage. Fearing they could trust no one in town, Liz and Cole decided the best option would be to contract Char to work with them on the retrieval. After some negotiation, Char agreed. Outside of town, they found that the shipment had been attacked. Investigating, Cole and Shaw were able to trace the perpetrators to a cave below a cliff. There were five, the leader of whom was about to destroy a certain scroll-worked chest. Acting quickly, Cole and Shaw leapt into combat, Shaw engaging the leader and cutting him in half while Cole sniped crossbowmen from the mouth of the cave. Liz entered the fray with her alchemical tools and managed to heal Char after she took a vicious shot from a crossbowman. 
Dart, who had been popping up here and there throughout this entire time, made his presence known by saving Cole from one of the crossbowmen. In the aftermath, two discoveries were made. Liz found that the leader of the bandits wore a ring with the exact same symbol as the mayor had worn, and second, in the box that would have been destroyed had she not leapt into action, Char found a pink fuzzy creature who, upon seeing her, said a single word, Mew. Now, I'm quite sure you can all understand the significance of such a find. This may well have been the very first interaction between Mew and a human. I encourage you all to take advantage of the privilege of attending this institution and visit the archive to see the same scrollworked box as I have previously mentioned. Going forward, I would also like you to do your best to attend the copies of primary sources that have been provided to you in your class materials. For example, it would behoove you to read the discipline reports of Brad and Kathy's actions as written by Sir Iko herself. Those of you inclined towards the forensic side of studying history should do what you can to explain to your classmates the significance of the reports on the skeletons found in the tidal cave below Palatown. While I will of course do my best to ensure that you get the absolute most out of this class that you can, there is no substitute for getting your hands dirty yourself. But that is of course all for after class, and don't think I won't be checking to make sure you're doing the work. For now, let us return to the past. Let us return to the period of Pokegenesis. Let us return to a time when the underlying theme of the world could have been summed up in a single phrase. Evolve or die. Let's return to Palatown. Let's return to the tidal cave below the cliff. Let us return to five bandits. After slaying them, you found two interesting things. One was a symbol of a strange bird that no one recognized, but that some of you remembered seeing present on the mayor's finger earlier. And the other thing was a box with intricate carvings, some strange talismans, and inside of it, a weird pink fuzzy creature who says Mew. Now, this creature is kind of zipping around the cave, flitting between the four of you, seeming to uh, take in your faces, take in your smells, and generally moving about like a bird, but there are no wings, and the way this creature moves does not make a whole lot of sense to you, so do we have some reactions to this scenario? Char is delighted. She's sort of trying to scratch it behind it. its ear. It's not really allowing itself to be touched, but it's uh, it's curious yet cautious. Oh yeah, no, it's like it's like playing with a new you know, with a new kitten. I think Cole would probably just sit cross-legged on the ground, putting his bow back over his shoulder, and just watch, try and figure out what he's looking at. Dart, being invested in Char's well-being, is probably going to try to gently pull Char's arms away from the mysterious creature. 
Those arms are important. You might need them later. Yes. Liz is is racking her brain, trying to just trying to think if there is anything um, that she has encountered that is anything even uh, even near what this is. Yes, Liz. Is this some sort of canto variant of a uh, of a cat? What is this thing? It's it's adorable. So this is where we're going to need a nature check from Liz. I'm going to say right beforehand that you do know something. You have some ideas. We just need to see how close you can get. Total roll is a five. Well, it's very cute. You have some knowledge of the supernatural. You're aware that there are forces in nature that most humans cannot perceive or have an impact on. Uh, Your aunts, particularly Rita, are... Uh, more in tune with that side of the world than most other people are. But you've never encountered one of these nature spirits uh, in a physical manifestation. The most you've encountered is sort of a a vague feeling of uh, ease or unease, depending on the mood of the spirit in question, whether things are right or wrong with the land. They've been a little stressed out lately, but this is as close as you can come to an idea of what this thing might be physical manifestation of nature spirit, but it's not behaving like it so much cares about the natural world so much as that it's curious about what's going on. Weirdly, more playful than you would expect from your average deity. Can Char take a nature check to to see if, you know, in her wide travel she might have come across something that might tell her something about this? Uh, no. Uh, this would actually be a more military history, military intelligence. Oh, shit. Uh, that's a nat 20. Fuck. <laughs> hey, military history is the thing that Char knows a lot about. What is known to most people is that the capital has been destroyed. Indigo capital, seat of the emperor and his household and his court after 20 years of fighting between Kanto and Johto, is no more. Stories persist of an eruption at Mount Silver, the resulting cataclysm of which leveled the city and forced a truce between the two sides. Soldiers are telling different stories. Camps around the country on both sides of Mount Silver tell stories of great beasts lumbering down from the mountains. Creatures of fire, creatures of air, erupting mountains, living boulders, terrible creatures that not only destroyed the city, but killed everyone inside. The truce between Kanto and Johto was not made for reasons of practicality, just that there is no capital to fight for, so much as fear. There's a new enemy out there, and no one's really sure how to fight it. I've heard stories from soldiers who were at Indigo and around. They speak of monsters, demons coming out of coming out of the night, out of the hills and the mountains and destroying whole towns and villages. It's supposedly how Indigo fell. I don't suppose this little guy can possibly do anything that disruptive or on that scale. Look at you. You're just too cute to do anything terrible, aren't you? Come here, you. I um I think that Calling these sorts of things demons is maybe um, trying to give them a sense of human morality that doesn't necessarily work with what they are. Well, they're soldier stories. Yeah, yes, I suppose so. Um, the thing that this reminds me most of is 
Now, granted, I don't have a ton of experience with this myself, but my my aunt and um, my mother have indicated from time to time that there are there's maybe a little bit more to the world than what than what humans can see and what we can touch. This this could just be a manifestation of a part of the world that we don't fully understand. Interesting. If what you're saying is true, and the capital was destroyed by by creatures that were, were coming out of the earth, and if something like this is here, and in a form that we can all see, I've known for a long time that something was wrong. But if all of this is true, then maybe what's wrong is something that is bigger and stranger than we could possibly imagine. As you say that, this little cute pink creature looks away from you and looks out the mouth of the cave. It is Cole who is closest to the cave mouth, so you're the first to feel the chill wind at your back. And looking out at the raging sea, you can see the dark clouds that have been billowing over Fuchsia for some time have grown much closer, and something about this incoming storm is concerning your new friend. That would get Cole up to his feet and walking actually back out the mouth of the cave. What are my weather senses telling me? Something's changed. I think this is a survival check. That's a 21. Something changed and it's changed very quickly. The storm that was on the way has spiked in intensity since before you entered this cave just a few moments ago. This is this is upgraded from bad storm to hurricane and it's still coming right directly your way. Yeah, uh, Liz turns to turns to the spirit and says Will you be safe? Mew. It says. With that, it zips out of the mouth of the cave and flicks away up the cliffside, and you lose sight of it. Liz, how much time do we have? Not much. We need to get home. I'll need to work quickly. Stand close, but not too close. I'll try to make this as uh, expedient as possible. Cole, while we're doing this, try and gather some of the, the supplies up. They were paid for, and we don't want them to be drowned in the storm. I have a bit of work to do. Uh, and she is going to sit the prisoner up, uh, assuming he's awake. Uh, groggily regaining consciousness. Okay, so Char is going to sit behind him, sit very close, intimately enough that, that he can feel the warmth of her against his back. And she is going to lean in very close to his ear and say, I don't believe that we've had a chance to get properly acquainted, and we're not going to have much time. But my name is Charlotte. You shot me just a few minutes ago, and I'm not terribly well disposed towards you. Now... Uh, oh, God. Yes, yes, yes. Now, my friends, they, they don't have the same desire for pain that I do. What I need from you is to know exactly who hired you, why and what you were up to, what organization you're a part of. But I very much would prefer if you not tell me that quite so quickly, because I really want to do this. Uh, and she is going to uh, roll a strength check to break one of his fingers. That is a 16 to break a finger. Uh, yeah, that's plenty. All right, he screams, he screams in pain. Oh, 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 dear, dear, no, 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 no. If you would like that to stop, you can uh, simply answer uh, my questions. And maybe 
I won't do something worse than uh, break your fingers. Maybe I won't walk away and leave you tied up here while the water rises. You think I care about you think I care about my life? Ah, do your worst, foreigner. This is bigger than any of us. This is about the future of Kanto. Oh dear me, child. My worst is so much more terrible than you could imagine. My worst doesn't go after you. My worst keeps you alive. My worst drags you out of here and goes after everyone you have ever loved. And I will do this to them. Slowly. And, oh shit, uh, that's a 23 to break another finger. <laughs> now, would you care to try that again? Or can you please just answer my questions? This spy is rolling pretty well. You get the idea that this person may have been trained to endure uh, direct physical pain. You might have to get a little approach from a different angle. While Char is interrogating this man, I'm going to approach him and sort of crouch down and sort of whisper in his ear, Mister, if you think this woman can't find out who your loved ones are and, and visit upon them the same tender ministrations, well, I suppose I'd have to let you know that this woman operates with the Toad's blessings. Uh, his eyes widened at that. Fuck. She'll know who your loved ones are. The Toads can tell. Should have known you were behind this. Oh, no, 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 dear. I'm behind you. Third finger. <laughs> okay. Fifteen. <laughs> Alright, this person has uh, had three fingers broken, but still very rolling very well on the strength saves. Uh, less so on the wisdom saves. So, I think, Dart, your, your mention of the Toad's Knot's involvement in this affair has seemed to have spiked this person's fear in a way that no amount of broken fingers could have done. And I'm just going to stand up, look down at him, and say, please answer this woman's questions. Otherwise, you'll be hearing croaking in the middle of the night. And I'm just going to sort of walk off and give them some space. He's a funny one, isn't he? Frost shit. Now Johto's involved, too. There are far worse things that can happen than what I've done. Yeah, and you may have just cost us our best opportunity at stopping it. Do you know what you did by letting that creature out? Actually, yes, I do. So, if you don't mind, I would really rather just have you answer my questions so that I don't have to let worse things happen. You've got to recapture it. you got to make sure it gets to General Margaret. That thing's our best chance at stopping terrible things. Margaret, you work for Margaret. I work for Kanto. But do you work for Margaret? Those two are not necessarily the same thing. So, you work for Kanto. Our organization is bigger than any one military leader, but right place, right time, she's the one who can solve the problem. I see. Well, that answers a lot of questions. Thank you. Uh, and she is going to give him a kiss on the cheek and stand up. Oh, thank you. Uh, she is going to walk away, leaving him tied up in the cave. Hey, hey, where are you going? Wait, we're, we're just leaving him here to drown? That's not the most pleasant way to go. 
No, it isn't, but he did shoot me. <laughs> so while you were doing all that, Cole would have, yeah, he would have tried to pack up anything he could find, but he also would have stripped down any gear or anything worthwhile off of the, uh, the bodies of the other gentlemen. So that would be piled outside the cave, and he would have used the wreck of the, the carriage to create a kind of funeral pyre, because even though they were enemies, they don't deserve to just have their bodies sit there in a cave. Uh, the weapons are of pretty good make. Whoever is uh, equipping these guys seems well-funded. What particular weapons do they have? I know I wrecked one crossbow. No full blades, nothing that would stand out in a crowd, but the knives are small, easily concealable, yet long enough to uh, easily wound or incapacitate a vital organ. The largest member of this squad that fought toe-to-toe with Shar in our last episode had a uh, very serviceable battle axe. Easily disguised as a woodcutter's axe, but definitely designed for cutting flesh rather than wood. How many small knives? Uh, one per person. Four. You can never have too many knives. So outside the cave mouth, there would be a pile that involved that battle axe, the four knives, any salvageable uh, bits of armor, things that might be worth selling or that we could use. Yeah, it was mainly just the big guy who had a decent suit of armor. But uh, since I believe he was bisected by Char, I don't know how. <laughs> uh, yeah. Probably just some shoulder guards at this point. The, the chest piece, I think it was ruined by her vicious assault. Any supplies I was able, like food, the rice that was supposed to be coming, anything like that that was salvageable is outside waiting. Yeah, I believe only one barrel from the four was had survived. I guess let's try and get it up a cliff. And then, of course, there's the strange box. The box is empty now, though, right? Uh, yes. But it may be the only thing that can contain. The char is definitely going to want to take that box. Uh, that box, but getting it up a cliff face while carrying everything else is going to be tricky. Well, you don't have to carry everything. No. Uh, are there any sort of, like, nooks in this cave that could potentially be outside of the waterline, or is the whole thing about to be drowned? Do you have an investigation check? Yeah, that's a nine. Yeah, you don't see any way to get this stuff out of the cave. Dart, give me an intelligence check. Oh, that's a two. I'm just sort of doubling on my lips. That would be a four with modifiers. Yeah, four's not going to get you much. You can't fathom the motives of these people right now. The whole espionage side of the spy game was never really your strong suit. You were hoping to pick up training during your mission here, but, well, (laughs) I guess that's a story for another time. He's more of a wet work operative. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, if we can't get it up the cliff and we can't secure it here, suppose we leave it and hope for the best. It's in a barrel, so maybe it'll survive. But we have to get out of here before we drown. We we shouldn't leave this man here, though. He's. We should at least take him with us. Don't worry about him. Yeah, don't worry about me. All's fair in war, isn't it? Cole's gonna start, like, trying to usher people away from him out of the cave into the cliff. We, we gotta, we gotta get out of here. You know, start, start climbing, we gotta get out of here. I'm going to, as they're leaving the cave, I'm going to just run up to the guy and say to him, Look, if I, if I unbind you, can, will you leave in peace? Can you climb out of here? This sounds like a persuasion check. You can roll with advantage, you're being very kind. That's a 19, or an 18 with my... Minus one charisma modifier. You don't compromise your own mission like that? 
just to save me? Your survival does not compromise my mission. Don't give too much away, kid. And don't count anyone out till you see the body. He winks at you. Go on, get out of here. I sigh. Should I at least make it quick? What? No, I'm, I'm saying, like, leave. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. Oh, oh, I, I, I... I God! My, wow! I, I'm sorry, I, I misinterpreted your... What you were... Okay, be well then, and I leave. Are, are all the... I'm not as scared of toads as I used to be now. And I just make riveting noises as I leave. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh... You said there was a symbol on the box that matched the mayor's ring, right? Oh, no, not on the box. Uh, the box had, uh... The box does have its own symbols. It is not the bird symbol, the the silver bird symbol that uh, all these men carried. Uh, the box is carved with uh, runes that might be familiar to Liz. This is uh, fairly well-known religious symbols of binding and restraint, commonly used in exorcisms, usually put at religious sites or at burial sites to keep wandering spirits out of holy places. What's interesting about these is that they're coated on the inside of the box as though designed to keep something in. Right, and are also expected to actually be effective, which is very cute. <laughs> yes, yes indeed. Um, and, and Char is taking the box with her. Yeah. As Char is about to huck this very large box up the hill. You know those ruins are bullshit, right? That's all religious mumbo-jumbo. They don't actually do anything, the box isn't special. Are you sure? It's not just- it's just a pretty box? Yeah, yeah. The reason that the thing was inside the box was either because it wanted to be, or because it can't go through wood. If ethereal spirits are literalizing, that could be a very real possibility. Char's gonna look at the box and uh, sort of gauge how much it's worth in terms of just, like, street value. Uh, it's a very nice box. Sturdy, well-made wood. Rather heavy. Got a bunch of symbols carved on the inside that you could probably convince somebody are effective. Eh, I can find some room to buy this. Uh, so we're climbing up the cliff while Cole is doing whatever he's doing? Cole would have been there and seen what Dart did, wouldn't have stopped him or anything. But I want Cole to just be standing outside the mouth of the cave, like off to the side a little bit. He'll just look at everybody and tell them, I'll catch up. Char looks at him and nods and starts climbing. Can I roll inside on Cole? 18 plus 5, so 23. Cole is just outside the mouth of the cave, uh, back to the wall, knees slightly bent in almost a ready position, uh, but not not like a, a runner's start, just he's loose. And uh, you see his fingers just kind of moving. Mr. Uh, I don't think we've been introduced. What was your name? Uh, my name is Cole. Uh, a pleasure to meet you. My name is Dart. Uh... The man in there is, uh, I've, I've finished the job. He's not going to be bothering anyone anymore. And I guess that would mean I'd have to roll deception. Yeah, absolutely. Seven, yay! All right, well, that was a 19, a natural 19 without the advantage. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, buddy. It's, I guess you're going to have to die anyhow. No, Cole's, Cole's not even going to be upset with, with Darden. It's, uh, it's okay. I'm, I have other business with this gentleman. And sort of being taken aback by Cole's cold mystique, I'm, I guess I'm giving up hope and head climbing back up the cliff. 
Cole's gonna wait outside the cave. He's not. He's gonna be off to the side and try and be as stealthy as possible. He wants the guy to think he's alone, so he'll come out. All right. So you wait and wait. It takes a few minutes. Waves are starting to get higher. Water level's starting to rise. The storm is beginning to pick up, but it's not too long before your patience pays off and you hear the sound of something being uncovered inside the cave. And uh, the man comes out dragging a raft on the wet sand. Okay, well then I'd let him... I'm right outside the mouth of the cave, like right right around the corner of it, so that you know I'm, I'm out of sight as he comes walking out. That's pretty much my... Uh, my position. And as he drags the raft out, all he's gonna hear is we need to talk. Alright, he drops the raft with his one usable hand and uh, in a panic lashes out with a knife that was not discovered earlier, but he soundly misses you. He was caught off guard. As as that happened, Cole's, Cole's hand would have gone to the handle. He wouldn't have pulled it out, but it would have gone to the handle of one of his short swords. I noticed the, uh, the symbol you're wearing. Somebody else I talked to earlier was also wearing that symbol and seemed a little cagey about a certain levy being blown up. What do you want to tell me? Uh, do I need to do intimidation, persuasion? What would you prefer? I think you're going to make an intimidate check with advantage. No, so that's going to be a 22 total for intimidation. If you're talking about who I think you're talking about, he's got his own agenda. Just tell me what you know. Look, I... Uh... He doesn't seem quite so brave anymore. It looked like he was his courage from earlier may have come from knowledge that he was going to be okay if he just held out long enough. But now as he realizes his avenue of escape is, has been cut off and is growing narrower and narrower before his very eyes, all of a sudden he seems a lot more willing to spill the beans than he was back in the cave. Look, Mayor was part of our organization. We really wanted to get these soldiers out of Pallet Town. Failure of the crop, not enough food for the soldiers, plenty of fish for the villagers. The hope was that they just pack up and leave. But if he sent you after us, then I don't know what game he's playing, but I would not trust him. If he screwed us, he'll screw you too. I don't trust him. That's why I'm talking to you. What's the name of your organization? Look, we don't, we're not that kind of organization. We don't have a name for ourselves, but we do have a faith. We do have a belief. We know that there is a god out there watching over us. With the destruction of the capital, the time of Ho'o is over, and the, f and the future belongs to Lukia. With that, he lunges at you with his sword. Oh, Jesus. Ooh, 19 plus 4? No, that'll hit. Alright, 5 points of damage. 5? Alright. Uh, I guess I'm going to attack back with my short sword. So, 24 hits. <laughs> yep, a hit. So that's nine points of damage. All right. Uh, already weakened by the earlier fight and by torture at the hands of Charlotte, uh, there is no way he's able to resist your blade effectively. And he goes down. As he's bleeding out, I just kind of kneel down next to him and I was going to let you go. <coughs> well, that just makes me an idiot then, doesn't it? Uh, and here, Cole will wait for him to to go, and then he'll, if the funeral pyre is still burning at all, he'll he'll add his body to it. It doesn't take long. On the plus side, now you have a boat. A small raft. Probably fit uh, two people, maybe a rice barrel if you wanted. I think as you you huck the body up onto the, onto the pyre and turn around and um, Liz is standing there, she's like, hey, um, 
I was uh, waiting for you just because, well, and looks down at her um, shield arm. That was, um, that was pretty dangerous. I know, that's, that's why I wanted to get everybody else away from it. I, I feel like the information that I just found out is going to make anybody that knows it a target. Well, I feel like if you didn't make it home with me, Auntie Belle wouldn't, um, wouldn't have been real happy about that. At that, Cole, he loses any kind of bravado he had and kind of looks down at the ground and I'm, I'm sorry. I, I should have thought things through more. No, it's, it's, it seems like part of being a man is that everybody tells you you have to do everything alone. You were alone when I found you and weren't making a very good show of it, but you're not alone anymore. I know. Then, thank you. Could we say that Char uh, was uh, standing on the cliff kind of uh, watching this? Because I, I think I want to take this moment to have her basically roll inside checks on the other three. Char is kind of in a point where she has to make a decision on some, on some stuff. Her understanding of the other three is going to dictate kind of how that goes. I'm fine with that. Uh, that is a nat 20 on Liz. <laughs> On Cole, that is a 12. On Dart, that is a 16. For for Cole, since you couldn't hear the conversation, you don't know what he was asking the, the guy or what he was saying. Um, pretty much what you seem to gather is that Cole won't kill unless he has to. He doesn't go out of his way to find violence, but if you put him in a situation, he's most certainly not afraid to defend himself. Uh, for Dart, you can tell that he has a very weird interest in Char, almost kind of a, a hyperfixation. You get a hint that Dart may have had an ulterior motive for staying in the cave, and that beneath all the social awkwardness and robotic affect, there may be a bit of some ulterior motives and a bit of a deceptive intelligence underneath all that. Um, I think you would be able to pick up that um, Liz doesn't trust you overly much. Um, a little bit uh, doesn't love the fact that you're along is is basically just like, well, I mean, needs must at this point. Is, and it like engages with a lot of these sorts of things um, as pragmatic, uh, like from a pragmatic perspective. I think you, you get the sense that, especially when in the context that you've interacted with her, she does a lot of things that that she isn't um, super comfortable or happy about, just because like they are the things that need doing. So we'll knuckle under and kind of um, take care of things, but wants very badly for things to be different. Okay, that that's kind of made the decision for her. She knows what she's working with. Uh, if we're back down on the the beach with the rising tide with Liz and Cole. Can you uh, can you help me load this barrel into this this raft that I just seem to have acquired? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do what I can. And so she like you know gets an arm underneath it and sort of helps you shoulder uh, shoulder check it into the like into the raft. What are we looking at for like a, a beach line? Like the water is rising. If I wanted to say pull the raft on a rope and let it you know float, would I be able to do that? And would there be somewhere a little bit further down the beach? That's not a cliff face, or is it all cliff face? 
Uh, eventually you'll get to the salt marsh, so, uh, the former salt marsh current failed rice paddy, and that's probably going to be the easiest place to pull this up. I'd say that would be a lower difficulty check than trying to uh, engineer a stable structure without you there to control it. If it's just as fast to walk down here pulling it as it would be walking up on the road, I'll, I'll do a check to, to tow it in the raft. I'm, I'm definitely here to help. So so Cole wants to pull this raft with a barrel in it. What, what do you need from me? I don't think engineering-wise that's complicated. I think uh, controlling it with the wave action to make sure everything goes smoothly, uh, this is going to be an athletics check. With two of you, I think you can roll with advantage. Whoever has the higher athletics check can make an advantage roll. Oh, gee, I wonder who that is. Yeah, I'm assuming that's that's strong boy. <laughs> and that's a natural 20. Okay. Uh, yeah, natural 20 on athletics. All right, uh, you're doing very well. It's sort of uh, it's sort of like towing a very misbehaving heavy kite. Uh, to let the rolls kind of take some take some of the the description, you would have been able to pull it by yourself. But basically, Liz has been kind of coming behind you and finessing it and making the minor corrections necessary that took this from being something that was achievable to something that was easy. Oh, I like that. Nice. Um, while we're towing this and we have the sound of the waves and everything disguising it because of what Liz said earlier. Yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> my suspicions about the mayor earlier. Uh, turns out they were pretty spot on. The uh, That failed rice paddy, he was definitely involved. Him and this group of followers of Lugia seemed to have wanted to drive the soldiers out, so they thought a good way of doing that would be to destroy the crops. So it's worth mentioning for anyone who's curious, uh, there's no way any of you would have ever heard the name of Lugia before. That's not even a role right now. This is This is something new. So, they're functionally upending our lives just because they're part of a cult? I don't know what this group is. Uh, he said that the time of Ho-Oh is over and that they're now followers of Lugia. And destroying the crops would somehow drive out the soldiers like there was enough food for the citizens that the soldiers wouldn't just take. I'm not sure what the plan was. Well... As we're going forward, fighting the um, this Lugia and uh, his his followers, we can at least take comfort in the fact that the cult is made up primarily of morons. <laughs> gives the uh, gives the rope a tug to keep it from knocking into a piece of driftwood. I'm probably not the best person to stand in front of the mayor again, unless we want this to come to light. That sounds like a tomorrow problem. This uh, storm's rolling in. We gotta get home. Or, or since it seems like Dart and Char are taking their own way back, is there a scene that you two want to do between the two of you before I make your lives complicated again? Char wanted to have a moment with Dart and with Liz and Cole, so uh, if she can't have all three, she might as well just uh, have Dart now. Uh, so, yeah, so um, as we're walking, uh, Liz is... Uh, Char is going to turn to Dart and say, Do you know how I earned my name? The, the title or your, your proper name? The title. The Dragon of Galar. I do not know. I was out on a recon enforce mission for my mercenary unit. I had 
taken my regular company of 20 men. Good men. Smart. They were not the bloodthirsty idiots you sometimes find in mercenary units. They were friends. While we were on patrol, we came across an army a thousand strong on the way to attack the lord uh, whom we had been hired by. Now, we could have sidestepped and led them forward, but if we had done so, they would have run straight into the backside of our company. So, myself and 20 men took on this thousand-strong army. We led them into a valley, at the head of which was a village. I turned the village, made them into soldiers. Well, not soldiers, but skirmishers. And over the course of three days, myself, my 20 men, and these villagers slew all 1,000 soldiers. Well, actually, 1,123, I counted. And at the end of those days, every one of my men was dead. Every one of the villagers was dead. And I stood atop a pile of corpses, friend and foe. I don't have any proof, but I very much believe that this other lord had been bought off by the Jotuns. So... If your people wish to hire me, I'm afraid it's going to be a very expensive hire. Whew. Wow. I sigh, and I glance over to her, and I, and I say, Why did you involve the villagers? Wouldn't the sensible course of action would have been to evacuate them? I could not have held otherwise. There are stories of... 20 men defeating army of a hundred thousand but those are just stories in real war there are choices to be made and prices to be paid and the only way to stop this army was to get everyone that i could i evacuated the children i sent them off with the only one of my men i could trust to deliver them and the news of the oncoming army but everyone else Everyone else had the choice of standing and fighting and hopefully stopping this horde or running away. It's very subtle, but darts shaking. So you made orphans out of those children. If they're alive, they're probably reduced to begging for scraps in the city. No, actually. They've been absorbed into the company of the salamander. They are messengers, runners. They'll have a life. Dart's trembling sort of subsides. Well, that's... I suppose that's preferable to the life of an urchin. As for the toads, being a foreigner, I don't know how familiar you are with Jotun Canton politics, but I suppose I should may as well come clean. I am an operative of the toads, not. I am a a lower-ranking member. I am... My objective here in Pallet and the surrounding vicinity was to recruit the Dragon of Galar to bring her services over to Johto in order to better prepare our side for... for when hostilities with Kanto are re-engaged. <laughs> no bloody shit. I saw your sign earlier. <laughs> I... that... 
I don't know who made that sign. That was some idiot. <laughs> Dot, they didn't teach you very much about lying, did they? No, they taught me many things about lying. I just didn't observe, absorb the information too efficiently. Well, uh, perhaps if we spend much time together, I'll have to teach you a thing or two. And she's going to uh, sort of pat him on the shoulder uh, as they you know, walk. Whatever else, I thank you for coming into the fight. You didn't have to, and I owe those other two an apology. I reacted as if I was with my old unit again, and that is no longer the case. In the meantime, I'm in the meantime I'm going to have to shadow you. I can't exactly leave without you, and in my Secondary objective, should the primary one fail, would be to deny Kanto your services by any means necessary, and seeing as how you're a badass, killing you is going to be difficult, so I shrug. Charlene's over, and uh, she's going to try and give him a kiss on the cheek. I flinch at the kiss. Oh, Dart, you say the silliest things. I think this is the point where our two road travelers have just reached the borders of the failed rice paddy and uh, can see the lights of Pallet not too far now. Maybe if they look off to their left, they can see their friends with the boat bringing much-needed supplies back to the village. Let's have them make a perception check, see what else they see. That's a 16 for me. Uh, same for me. Right, a 16, unfortunately, is not going to suffice. As you walk alongside the rice paddy, figures emerge from the sides of it onto the dry road. You find yourself surrounded by three very wet, very uncomfortable-looking soldiers, weapons drawn. And look who's got a fancy box that those guys were waiting for. Two of the soldiers would be familiar to the audience, if not to our heroes. Uh, Brad and Kathy are covered with mud and rotted rice plants and seem very upset at their lot in life, but they do have their swords drawn and they're ready to do their jobs. Uh, the other soldier would be recognizable to also to the audience as a fully armored Sir Iko. Oh, pardon me, is there something that I can do to help you? Yes, you can answer my question with bluntness and honesty. Are you responsible for the destruction of the rice shipment that was on its way to this town? Hmm, I don't particularly enjoy answering questions at the point of a sword. It's not a very good way to start a conversation, I don't find. Then you leave me no choice. Oh dear me, authority. no, that is... You always have a choice. It's simply a matter of choosing between uh, politeness and rudeness, between what is effective and what is ineffective, between civility and incivility, using your brain or using, well, that thing you sat on. I shouldn't have expected that you would understand duty or what it calls for. My dear, I know more of duty than you will ever learn in a hundred lifetimes. Then perhaps you'll understand now that my duty compels me to place you both under arrest. You're both coming with me. Well, no. Your duty compels you to try and get information from me in the most effective way possible. And, as I said, I don't particularly 
like answering questions at the point of a sword. So perhaps you would like to tell your soldiers to sheet them and ask me nicely. I might even answer. Uh, and I would like to roll intimidation. I was going to call for one. Uh, that is, <laughs> uh, that's a 24. I think what I would like from one of you, whoever is better, I would like one of you to make an insight check. That is a 22. You can tell that you've got the uh, other two rattled. The man and the woman are kind of, they're glancing at each other, sort of behind their commander's back, uh, and you can tell that, you can spot the telltale signs of a long friendship and uh, many, many hours spent together. Uh, Entire conversations are passing with the barest flick of the eyes or adjusting of posture between these two. Uh, They seem very nervous and trying to figure out what to do next. The captain, however, advances slowly, calmly, a single step, and she says, Soldiers, see to your duties. And reluctantly or not, Brad and Kathy adopt fighting stances. One high, one low. Oh, great. Cole and Liz, from the salt marsh below, you could see your friends, or at least your traveling companions, whatever they are right now. You could see Char and Dark walking on the ridge above you. What I would like from you both is perception checks to see if you notice the ambush that was awaiting them in a timely fashion. <sighs> nope. That is a five. I feel like you're going to think I'm lying when I tell you I got a natural 20. <laughs> well, he is the tracker. So that actually puts me at a 28. Holy shit! With a natural 20, uh, I will say that it is entirely possible that you were already hiding behind them the whole time and could jump out at any moment. So pretty much we'd be towing this barrel along, you know, Cole doing most of the pulling and Liz doing corrections and things like that. And the barrel would actually run into the back of Cole because he had stopped and was just looking, you know, almost like a pointer, you know, the ground around where our traveling companions are. And all he says is, ah, bolts. Looks over to, would look over to Liz and say, I feel like our friends are about to uh, get in some serious trouble. Yeah, and I think we need to we need to get in closer. I'm I'm no good from this far back. Liz looks at this this like barrel that we're dragging along. Looks at the very long and, and extremely wet distance that they would have to that they would have to cover, and then looks at Cole and kind of sees that look. And it's just like, <sighs> all right, let's. Uh, she like pulls out her knife and a bit of like shoves it into something wooden nearby and ties it off so that the barrel doesn't, or so that the uh, the rice doesn't float away. Pats down her person, notices that um, most of her very cool stuff is, uh, has already been used, and looks at Cole and says, I would just like to say before we go that this is a bad idea. Cole just looks at her dead in the eye and says, I know. I don't want to get right up on them, but I want to get within 150 feet. And as soon as I breach that that distance, my longbow comes off of my shoulder and I have an arrow knocked. Liz is just trudging behind him, being like, of course I just give the whole speech about, oh, you don't have to be alone anymore. Nobody has to do this alone. You got to look out for each other. Just like sorting out packages of the choking powder and (laughs) generally getting ready for this, this very dumb thing that we're about to do. 
can I roll perception to see if I can understand her mumblings? Sure, why not? Oh, goddamn. That's uh, an 11. Maybe you catch some of it. You hear you you hear her frustration. She flips you off as she walks past because I have to get <laughs> far closer than you do. And that seems like a tense situation that I don't super have to be quiet walking up on. Oh, dear. Now that you've lost the argument of wits, you... Uh, turn to your friends to fight for you. How very noble of you. How very... What's the word? What's the word? Cowardly. Yes, that's a word. How very cowardly. You couldn't even uh, try to arrest me yourself. Dart's going to just take his hand and cover Char's mouth. Uh, this is either intimidation or persuasion, but I'm basically drawing her out so that she'll try and fight me by herself. I'm going to whisper to Shar, do we need to antagonize the local, uh, the local garrison? There's, all they were asking was, did we seize or steal or destroy the, the grain shipments? And we didn't, and they wouldn't have any evidence that we did so. So why are we antagonizing them? A, because I don't wish to be found with a Jotun spy, and B, I don't like bullies. Neither do I, but these are bullies in positions of power. The worst kind. The ones most in need of having their heads deflated. Uh, so so, am I, so uh, can I roll to see if I can intimidate or persuade her to try and take me on uh, by herself? Uh, that would definitely be persuasion rather than intimidate. Uh, that is a 19 total. Uh, unfortunately, you are making this check with disadvantage, so... Ah, oh, fucker. Uh, the second one would have been a 23. You? Wish to duel me? You? Who are not born here? You who haven't... You who have no part of our culture? Of our society? You wish to engage in the most sacred acts of the samurai class with me? You wish to duel, Aiko? I, the daughter of counts and dukes. I, whose blood runs more nobly than yours could ever dream of. I, who has... Ooh, flinch, flinch at that last part. I, who has fought more duels than you could possibly count, my dear. So, yes, if you are done, what is the word? What is the word? If you are done squawking like a chicken, yes, I would like to duel you. One on one. You don't deserve that honor. I should butcher you where you stand for the insolence of your tongue. However, I find myself wishing to remove your tongue. Oh my. You should really uh, prefer to do other things with my tongue, but if that's what you prefer. I'm going to enjoy cutting it out of you. Draw your blade, Gaijin. If we want to cut back to the duel that's about to go down for a second, Dart's taking a seat beside Kathy and Brad, and he reaches into his pouch, produces a rice cracker, and offers it to them. <laughs> uh, you're, you're offering it to the soldiers? Yeah, to Brad and Kathy. They just they don't seem as enthusiastic about this whole affair as, as Iko and Char do. So, Aiko and Char stare each other down. Like, just cutting rapidly between close-ups on the eyes. It's like, thump, 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 thump. The music is swelling and getting more intense, and then all of a sudden it cuts over to, uh, to Dart and, uh, Brad and Kathy. 
Brad is sweating. He has his serious face on, but his eyes betray his concern and fear. Not necessarily at losing his life, but at what he might have to do. And all of a sudden, a treat is being offered to him, and without even thinking, he grabs it and starts munching on it. <laughs> it's like a close-up on his face, and this, like, this this rice cracker just kind of enters the frame. <laughs> Yeah, there was no thought to it. That He moved on pure reflex and began munching down. And uh, with that, Kathy drops out of her stance just to smack him in the shoulder to give him a, a punishing smack as you might do a misbehaving dog. <laughs> and that smack is just like the... It's, it's like a cross-screen wipe as we cut to commercial. <laughs> well, that was quite the cliffhanger. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a bit of this incredible story we're building together. Also, don't forget to leave a review as it helps more people find our little class. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be found on our Twitter and Instagram accounts at Pokemon Primeval. And you can always email us at PokemonPrimeval at gmail.com. Thanks, of course, to our wonderful adjuncts, Kevin McLeod, for providing music for our session, and Kit Mulcairn for providing the voice of Mew. We hope to see you in two weeks in our next session, where our story continues. <laughs>